Hey, this is Junior. Thanks for hitting play. You've heard it said before, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it's fine. Is there truth to that? I used to believe that. Let's talk about it. Growing up, growing up, I, I, my cousins lived in a small town in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. I, I did too, but my cousins, I would go visit them quite often. They lived 45 minutes away, and some of my favorite memories happened on their property. They lived on this beautiful property with a river going right through their backyard, and in the middle of the river, right behind their house, is this tiny island. And so me and my cousins, we were 12 years old, we would canoe out to the to the island, and we would make camp on our own island. You, you know, 12 years old, it's like every boy's dream. And we would stay up late into the night telling stories, ghost stories and alien stories. And my cousins convinced me that the Loch Ness Monster, it's legit, Junior, there's just so much proof. And so late into the night, we just share fanciful stories and letting our imaginations just run wild. And then at the end of the week, my parents would pick me up, and I would head home, worn out, and unable to sleep because of the vivid, haunting pictures in my head of ghosts and, and beasts. And I would tell my parents, oh, I don't believe any of that. But it affected me. And so as I grew up, my parents had to help bring clarity to my imagination. Because if I were to become a man, I had to correct some off beliefs if I wanted to, to grow more. It's the same with us spiritually. See, we go through our life, and somewhere along life, we just we pick different things up. Twisted truths, off beliefs, attitudes. And often, sometimes this comes from like a friend who tells us something, or we watch a movie, or a song, or we read a post on social media, or we just believe something that's repeated in our culture, and what happens is that belief becomes this lid to growing spiritually. So to grow spiritually, we have to inspect those lids and remove those lids. And so that's what we're doing in this mini-series. Now, last week, Jordan preached a fantastic sermon on follow your heart. That whole idea is so repeated in culture. Follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. This week, we're talking about a very popular phrase that people repeat, and that is, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it's fine. It doesn't take long before you run into this idea on social media. You know, like, uh, as long as you enjoy it, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, you should just do whatever you want. Sounds great. Or... You know, do whatever you want. As long as you're not hurting anyone, it's entirely up to you and nobody else. Don't waste your life doing what others think that you should do. It's like so empowering. These are my boundaries. You know, I can do what I want as long as it doesn't hurt you. The only time I was close to trying drugs was when I worked at a pizza joint in high school. One of my coworkers offered me mushrooms, not the type you put on pizza. And he said this phrase to me. He said, hey, man, it's organic. If it's just true... And who's it hurting? As long as it doesn't hurt someone else, it's fine, right? I sat there thinking, like, yeah, that's, so, like, that's true. Maybe I should give this a shot. And then he told me that when he takes it, he sees clowns pop out of the wall. I was like, okay, well, then I'm out. I just don't want to see that. But this is repeated so often. You hear this, your kids hear this. You know, as, as long as it's two consenting adults, it's not hurting anyone, it's fine. Or a big one right now is, if you don't like abortion, don't have one. My decision doesn't affect you. As long as she doesn't know you look at that, as long as he doesn't know that you've been talking to him, you know what the parents don't know won't hurt them, as long as it doesn't hurt someone else, it's fine. It's true, isn't it? And I would agree with this, that it would be fine if this part of the statement were accurate. 
My goodness, this is such a huge conversation. Even for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, who know that this is not good, this is false, we still grade sin based on this belief, this lid to our spiritual growth. And so today, we're just going to go for it. We're going to tackle it. This is a big conversation. Joshua chapter 7 is where we're going to be. Joshua chapter 7. Really encourage you to grab a Bible. we got Bibles in the chairs. It's page 182 in those Bibles. Otherwise, I know a lot of people use their phones, tablets, through the Bridge app. We've got notes. got a lot of ground to cover today. So let's pray and ask God to be part of this because we need him. God, I thank you so much for your word. May you remind us just of the seriousness of the weight of this moment right here, that we gather together. We're going to hear from you. Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We ask that you do a surgery on us with that sword, if you must. May your Holy Spirit illuminate this text to us, bring situation to mind, even surface some of the sin that we have unconfessed or that we've been holding on to. And may we take this time very seriously, not suppressing your voice, but completely open to what you have for us in your word. Please speak to us, for we are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into Joshua chapter 7, we find ourselves in an area where we're struggling to breathe the hot, thick, smoky air. The black clouds billow into the sky and the sound of fire crackling as burnt wooden structures collapse under the rubble below. Not hours ago, the air was clear. The city was thriving. Massive walls gave these inhabitants security and pride. That was just hours ago. Those massive walls had fallen in, crushing large portions of the city and creating a ramp for the people of Israel to come into the city and claim victory, their first victory of the promised land. Have you guessed where we are? Jericho. Well, what was Jericho? A city just east of the Jordan River below the mountains of Jerusalem. It's a city of palm trees. If you ever go to Jericho today, you have a hard time getting in. But if you were to go to Jericho today, palm trees everywhere. The city of palm trees is one of the oldest cities still in existence. Once an impenetrable city, but in this text, is now flattened and on fire. Days ago, when the Israelites approached the city from the Jordan River, Walking toward this city was intimidating. Thinking about taking down this city, there's just no way. It seemed like a joke. Yet there they stand in total shock, looking over a pile of rocks. They can't wait to see what God has for them ahead. But something happens. Verse 1. People of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. Now, here's what's going on. I need a little context to understand what's going on here. Right before God flattened Jericho, he told his people, don't take anything for yourselves. You're going to go into these cities as you conquer, and you're going to see a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff. These are some wealthy cities. All this great stuff, all these riches will be sitting there. Do not take it for yourself. Now, if we were in Israel, we would go, okay, well, God, that doesn't make sense. Like, we're a bunch of former slaves. We own very little to nothing. We're supposed to take over this region with pretty much nothing. It'd be nice to have some nice things, even some resources for our military. This doesn't make any sense. What God is doing, though, here is very, very purposeful, and he does this with you and I. God is making the nation depend on him. They're going to take over this land. Think of that. A bunch of former bricklayers are going to take over elite military-trained fortified cities, and not because Israel's just really good at plundering. 
They aren't depending on the resources of the cities that they're taking over. They're depending on God. So it's going to be this major statement throughout the region. There's something about this Yahweh that Israel serves. And God's people are successful, not because of their resources or strength, but because of their dependence on this Yahweh. So God, this is what God is up to. He said, I know this doesn't make full sense to you, but don't take anything from the cities. You are going to live on very little as we take over the promised land. So getting back into this, there stands a man. He's, he's walking through the smoldering debris. He knows the instruction, don't take anything for yourself, and he doesn't plan to. But something catches his eye. The color just pops amongst the limestone wreckage. This must be the home of Jericho's leader or elite wealthy. He goes to inspect the color more. It's just, finds out that this beautiful robe, vibrant colors, ornate designs. It's definitely imported from Babylon. This would make a great family heirloom. Beautiful garment from old Jericho. I mean, there's beauty to it, but there's also a story. He hesitates. He's no, he's, he knows he's not supposed to take it. But the feel is soft. It's unlike anything he's ever touched. It's, it's just a garment. Nobody will know. It doesn't hurt anybody. It's fine. So he looks around as he bunches it up. He shoves it in his satchel. Next to that are some coins. Can't let those go to waste. Whatever dumps them in with a robe. Heads back to camp. No harm, no foul. Nobody knows. Hasn't hurt anybody. It's fine. But somehow it wasn't. Look at this. And the anger of the Lord burned against who? Against Achan? No, the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Now this is where as a reader we want to look at this and go, hold on. This doesn't seem fair. Nobody else took anything. And you're mad at a whole nation? An entire nation is held liable for the actions of one guy? He's just one guy. He's one idiot. One guy. Doesn't seem right. This isn't fair. And that feeling, which I feel too, that feeling of unfairness here shows that we've, we've hit this lid. It shows this inaccurate core belief that we have about sin. That feeling shows us that we've hit this, this lid. But to remove this lid... We have to go a little bit deeper. We have to hit pause on this story. We have to rewind history. So we'll come back to the story in just a second. We're going to rewind history back to where we first bump into sin, in the Garden of Eden. You and I were designed for this garden. It's what we were made for. It's what our hearts long for, this garden. It was ruined, though. You know the story. Adam and Eve, they enjoyed utopia, unlike anything this world has ever seen. Perfection at every turn. Physical walks with God in the evenings. Like Achan... Adam and Eve, they take something they're told not to, and that sin completely vandalized what they had, vandalized their relationship with God in this perfect environment, the first to sin. Now, sin, by the way, sin means missing the mark. Often when we think of sin, we think of doing something you're not supposed to. Yeah, that's sin, but also it's not doing something you know you're supposed to. So missing the mark. Adam and Eve, like Achan, they take something that they shouldn't, and sin immediately takes root. There's separation from God. They're kicked out of the garden. There's thorns. There's drought. There's pain. There's hunger. There's death. Sin, like cancer, infects and spreads. And today, you and I, we woke up this morning seeing that vandalization all around us. We woke up in a broken world. Our world is stained. We've, now, we've all contributed to this vandalization, but Scripture says through one man's sin, sin entered the world. So with that background, we get back to this text here with Achan. God has this special covenant with Israel. This is God's plan. He takes Israel, he has a special covenant, and Israel is going to be, in a way, kind of like an Eden. He's gonna, Israel's going to be the showcase of beauty in a vandalized world. 
That Israel will draw people to God. People will look at the nation of Israel and go, that's shalom. That's the way things should be. That's how people should operate. But now there's sin in this camp too. Just one man who took something he shouldn't have, but we saw what happened in Genesis. Sin spreads, it vandalized. Israel is to be this beautiful showcase to the world, and now one man vandalized the whole display. Adam's choice vandalized Eden. Achan's choice vandalized Israel. Their choice didn't just affect them. Choices never do. It affected everyone else. You think about it this way. One person pees in the pool, everyone gets nasty. Everyone pays the price. It's the same thing here. God is upset with a nation because the showcase to the world now looks like the world around it. Everything God is doing is once again vandalized. Sure, one guy peed in the pool, but now God, in this text, it's like God is looking at this pool in disgust. It's like, if you're a parent, you've probably said this to your kids, or you may have heard this from your parents before, but it's this whole idea of our choices, just, they, they affect far more than just us. We've heard this, maybe we've even said this. I really believe that we struggle to actually embrace this and believe this, especially as our society becomes more and more and more individualistic. We find ourselves saying, and I'm guilty of this, but we find ourselves saying, like, you do you, I'll do me. Or even worse is, well, my relationship with God is personal, it's none of your business. So I'll do my thing, you do yours. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah, sure, a relationship with God is personal, but the moment I surrender my life to Jesus, I step into his community. In a way, I step into his display. My relationship with God is just as much communal, if not more. See, we interact with God through his community. And in community, our choices affect and impact others, always. It's like when Nicole, my wife, when she was pregnant with our first daughter, that we were getting ready to have a baby in the house. It was just like an exciting time, right? You ever been there? You know, you get the house ready, you get the nursery ready, and put the car seats in the car, and get everything ready. And Nicole had mentioned to me one night, she said, you know, babe, your car is a piece of junk. I don't want it to, like, break down with the kid in it, so you should probably get a different car. Girl, say no more. Like, I knew what I wanted. And I know it sounds really weird, but I wanted a PT Cruiser because I had one in high school when I first met Nicole. Like, our first date was in a PT Cruiser. I had to sell it to pay for college, so I wanted it back. Only... I wanted it better. I wanted a convertible. So I shopped around, found one, two-door convertible, stick shift, like a car should be, buy the car, I pull into the driveway, and Nicole comes out to the driveway, she's not happy. What'd you buy? Yeah, pretty sweet, huh? It's like, how are you gonna put the car seat in the back? It's two doors. It's like, babe, I thought this through. You take the top off, drop her in from outside the car. Boom, we're good. It's like, you're gonna do this in January? Oh, yeah. You're going to do this in the rain? Oh, yeah. Also, you're going to drive around with a newborn in the back seat with the wind just pelting their face? They go, oh, well, I guess we won't hear a cry. It's upside down. <laughs> that, moment, that moment hit me. I remember that conversation in the driveway because I remember thinking, like, I, I can't just think for myself anymore. Like, I'm a dad. And every decision, every failure, every attitude, every purchase, every venture, every passive Every passive act, it doesn't just affect me now. I have a family that it affects. Now, if you follow Jesus, you have a family. And every decision you make affects the family. Every attitude you carry affects the family. So the idea of, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it's fine. This is simply a product. This is something we have to understand as Western culture. This is simply a product of a hyper-individualistic society. 
This would make no sense to communal cultures. And as God's people, we are a communal culture. We understand that our decisions affect far more than just us. Our attitudes, our failures, our failure to lead, our lack of submission, our negativity, it vandalizes, vandalizes the family. See, we're only one verse in, but it gives us a theology that we can't skip. Sin offends God. Sin offends God. I know it seems like you're looking at this like, oh, it's a basic point. Yeah, it is a basic point, but it comes from the text. In reality, though, for a believer, this is all we really need. Goodness, we could get rid of the rest of the sermon. We're not going to, but we could just get rid of the rest of the sermon. We don't even need to dive in more into this text. We could just stop right here. If sin offends God, even if I don't believe my sin affects other people's, but if it affects God and I call myself a follower of Jesus, well, then that's, that's enough then. If it offends God, it's just not okay. For believers, this is enough, but there, there is more. So Achan takes some things. Nobody knows. We continue on. Verse 2. So Joshua sent some men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bet Haven, east of Bet Hale, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. So they were in Jericho. Now they're going to move on to take more ground. What they really want, I have a map here. They go from Jericho. They want to go to, or they're going to go to Ai. Joshua sends scouts to go get the deets or the details. And those spies come back reporting, guys, Ai is nothing. It's little. Jericho is way bigger. Ai is going to be a piece of cake. It'd be kind of like if, uh, if we were to overtake Chicago. Like, we just decide, hey, we're going to take Chicago. I don't know why we want Chicago, but let's just decide we overtake Chicago. And we, we overtake Chicago. Chicago is ours. We win. And next, we have to go fight Gurney. Well, we'd be thinking, like, well, that's no problem. It's Gurney. We just took over Chicago. This is how they're feeling. We got Jericho. AI, little. We, like, we got it. Tiny, tiny little place. Verse 4. So about 3,000 men went, from, went up from the people, and they fled Look at that. They fled before the men of Ai. And look at this, verse 5. It says, And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men. Now, these are the times in Scripture when you read Scripture, we need to stop and really feel this and let this sink in. 36, 36, 36 burials. 36 dads, sons, brothers, husbands, uncles died. And as a reader, we have a hard time swallowing this. We look at this and go, Because of Achan? Yes, indirectly. Achan vandalized God's display, so God steps back. His favor is no longer on Israel. Israel doesn't know this, though. They go out, they fight AI, they lose 36 men. Achan's sin, though indirect, led to 36 funerals, widows, fatherless kids. And it gives us point number two. Personal sin vandalizes everything around us. Sin always affects others. It did when the Garden of Eden was vandalized. It did when Achan vandalized Israel's victory, and it does with you. Every sin vandalizes something. Even the sins we often excuse and say, nah, it's just personal. So for example, porn. It's always funny. Whenever I say that, I always know like heads are going to snap. Oh my gosh, we're going to talk. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to go there. I've talked to many guys who tell me like, Junior, it doesn't hurt anything. It's just, it's just an outlet. It's a release. If anything, it just keeps me from bugging my wife. She's okay with it. No, porn vandalizes it vandalizes your marriage. I've seen marriages turn around just by getting rid of porn. Aiming that desire fully at your spouse brought them together. I've seen marriages turn around simply by getting rid of the vandalism. Even if you're single, porn drives our sexualized culture. Porn vandalizes those caught in human trafficking. The adult entertainment industry would never admit to this, but it feeds human trafficking. We all hate human trafficking. Look at the adult entertainment industry. It's fueling it. We'll go more politically incorrect here, but I, I think we have to go here. S same with abortion. 
The slaughtering of babies vandalizes our culture. And I say that with grace because we have precious people in our church. I have friends of mine with abortion in their past, but they would be the first to tell you it affected far more than what they were told it would affect. Abortion vandalizes. Cultures that endorse the killing of babies throughout history, whether uh, ancient civilizations or current, it always led to their downfall. Kill the babies, society fails. And I know the common line is, you don't like abortion, don't have one. No, it affects far more than just the person having the abortion. It vandalizes society, not to mention the precious, precious, precious life that God is knitting together in that mother's womb. Sin vandalizes more than we think. Another big one is emotional affairs. And I've heard this before. You know, my husband doesn't give me much positive attention, so I kind of got this like little fun little fling going on over here. We're not having sex. We're just friends, but like really, really, really good friends. Husband doesn't know, doesn't need to know how close we are. I get what I want. He likes me leaving him alone more. Win-win, no harm, no foul. Aside from that being an actual affair and most often leading to physical affairs, that vandalizes the relationship of the husband and wife. Instead of getting help and growing together and investing in the relationship, now we're just vandalizing the marriage. Sin vandalizes others. We're seeing an extreme example here in the text with 36 lives lost, but we live this truth each week. You've lived this truth each, each week. I've lived this truth each week. Every decision has the potential to vandalize what God is doing and wants to do. You think about in this text, Achan didn't understand the full scope of what God wanted to do with Israel. In the same way, you have no idea what God wants to do with you. You have no idea what God wants to do with your purity, what God wants to do with your relationship, what God wants to do with your leadership. You have no idea what God wants to do through you. Don't vandalize it. So Gurney beats Israel, or Ai. A little city beats up on Israel's military. You imagine this, right? Joshua is a young leader. He's discouraged. He's new to this. He's attending 36 funerals. He's completely down and out. He falls down before God. Verse 10, says, The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel, Israel, look at that, beginning of verse 11, Israel has sinned. And again, notice, God doesn't say one guy in Israel sinned. He doesn't say Achan sinned. He says, no, Israel has sinned. My showcase has been vandalized. And then, look at the rest of verse 11, the amount of plural pronouns in this. If you write in your Bible, if you circle in your Bible, this is definitely something worth highlighting or circling. It is wild, the amount of plural pronouns that God uses in this next text here. God is just like hammering this home. They, not he, they have transgressed my covenant that I have commanded them, not him. They, not he, they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. One man's action hurt the whole. Through one man's sin, sin entered the world. Through one man's sin, a nation is held guilty. And again, it's just repeating our whole theme here of sin never stays personal. It's never a singular pronoun. It's always a plural pronoun when it comes to sin. There's always plural in sin. There's always victims. Something is always vandalized. There is no such thing as a sin that doesn't hurt anyone else. It always has. It always does. And this is where God is really bringing us. Because if we don't feel the weight, this weight, there's going to be this spiritual lid in our, in our growth. If we treat sin as this little puppy, we're done for. We won't become more and more like Jesus if we entertain the soft view of sin. It's just not going to happen. God wants us to understand the huge and costly effect of any sin. He wants us to walk around with that weight 
It's never anything to wink at. It's never anything to laugh at. It's never anything to look the other way at. A really good book, by, uh, by the way, on this is uh, Not the Way It Should Be, a Bavarian Sin by Cornelius Platinga. Fantastic book. We would all be healthier people, better Jesus followers, and experiencing God's blessing more and more if we carried around the seriousness of sin. And Platinga's book is just a, a sobering eye-opener when it comes to that. Plus, if you're reading a book by a guy named Cornelius Platinga, you just look smart with that on your cover. So you get that added bonus. So Achan buried items in his tent. A nation buried 36 of their own. This isn't just Achan's... Sin isn't just in Achan's tent. The whole nation is vandalized because that's what sin does. And so God tells Joshua, just get up. He says, I want you to line them all up. The whole nation. Line them all up. I want them all out there. And you imagine that. The whole nation of Israel's gathered. There they are. The entire nation. Jericho lies in a pile of rocks right next to them. Families are still weeping over the loss of family members. And there they stand all lined up and confused. What's going on? How is it that Jericho fell and we couldn't beat Ai? And why are we all lined up here? And through lots, God picks a tribe. Judah, you stay. Everyone else back to your tent. Achan is in Judah. He stands in the back. His stomach is at Achan. <laughs> the tribe of Judah is split up in two different clans. Achan's clan is chosen. Then his family and Achan is found out. Verse 19 says, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord of God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Literally, give God glory. He got you. He's the all-seeing one. Praise him that this is over. Now tell me what you did. There's something to, to point out here, and this is, this is good for my own heart, and that is uh, Achan isn't, isn't coming clean. Achan is caught. There's a difference between being caught and coming clean. Those who are caught in Scripture often don't have the greatest stories unless there is a full confession. But those who confess in Scripture are forgiven because there is God's grace and forgiveness. Achan is caught. Verse 20, Achan answered Joshua, Truly I sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in, my, in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So he saw it. He wanted it. He took it. He hid it. Exact same thing that Adam and Eve did. They saw it. They wanted it. They took it. And then they hid. Exact same thing we do. And this is the, like, this is the picture of sin, isn't it? This is one of the problems with sin. We keep it hidden. Can't even enjoy it. Because you know, think about Achan here. He's got this sweet set of threads. Where is he going to wear it? Everyone knows where it came from. You know, he has all this money. Where's he going to spend it? They're a nation of newly freed slaves with nothing. And they know they're not allowed to take anything. Why is Achan spending all I wonder if he took something? Because it's such a, such a great picture of how sin works. We see it. We like it. We take it. We can't even enjoy it. Can't really enjoy this relationship. Can't really enjoy this pleasure because now i got this conviction. And so now I have to keep it hidden. And so we keep it hidden. And as we keep it hidden, the vandalism just spreads and nobody wins. Verse 25, Achan and his family are destroyed. If you look at verse 25, yet another picture of one person's sin destroying those around him. I know that seems so harsh, but at the same time, I don't know about you, I look around culture today and I see a lot of families being destroyed through especially the father's sin, through addictions and passivity. 
and families are destroyed. You see that with Achan and his sin, destroys the family. From here, Israel goes on to demolish Ai. The rematch wasn't even close. Because the vandalism is dealt with, they can continue forward in victory. But before they could continue, they had to deal with the issue. And I wonder how many of us walked into this room today like that. It gives us our third point. Sin stops you. It stops you. Israel couldn't continue until they dealt with what was buried in Achan's tent. In the same way, you will be stuck spiritually until you deal with what's buried in your tent, until your vandalism is taken care of. Now, you can still come to church. You can still learn. You can still serve. You can still enjoy community to a degree. But spiritually, that thing that you have buried is this barrier to you experiencing God. And deep down, you know that. You feel that. This was, uh, this was King David. You know the story about King David? Just like Adam, just like Achan, David took something that wasn't his, a woman, it was an affair, secret affair, vandalized the family, vandalized her family, vandalized his family, and then Israel, again, was vandalized because you have the king of, of Israel sleeping with, with this woman. And for a year, David lived with that buried in his tent. And for a year, he wasn't right with God. For a year, his faith and his spirit were just, it was dull. That's why David wrote this in the Psalms, right? For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. What I kept hidden, kept gnawing at me, it ate away to the point of physical groaning. There have been studies that, that show the effect of when we keep sin hidden and, and what that does to you physically. These studies show that it can affect you and impact you physically. This guilt, you weren't li- meant to live with this guilt, and it can, it can destroy you actually physically. Reminds me of uh, several years ago, I was at one of our campuses, and I was about ready to go preach, and this, this one woman my age, very well put together, very sharp, she came up to me, and she asked to, to talk with me. And I said, well, I'm, I'm like, in seven minutes, i got to go preach. Can, can we find a time like this week to, to sit down and be happy to? And she's like, no, I need to talk to you right now. I was like, all right, well, you got like six minutes. And so I sit down with her. And we sit in his office, and before she says anything, she just pukes. I was like, what's going on? After she's done, she, she proceeded to tell me that of this affair that she was having. She hadn't come clean yet with her, with her husband and just couldn't hold on to this any longer. And it was making her physically ill. She had said she was anxious and, and depressed and just having a hard time uh, eating. It sounds crazy, but it's just reality. She wasn't... A, she wasn't designed to live with that guilt. I ran into her years later after everything was dealt with well, and she was just a different person because she wasn't meant to live with that buried in her tent. Problem is, is so many of us, we try. We try every day to live with that buried, and we become these hollow shells of people that we were designed to be. We're not ourselves because to deal with that guilt that we don't want to feel, we've suppressed our spirit. We've desensitized ourselves so that we don't feel God's conviction. I don't want to feel that, so I'm going to suppress that. But the result is then we don't feel anything. So love is harder to feel. Excitement is harder to feel. Everything is harder to feel, even God. And I wonder how many of us walked in here feeling that, wishing we felt God, wondering why I don't feel God, sometimes envious of those who seem to feel God more, But the reality is, I don't feel God because I've learned to silence him in my own conscience. This is where David is at when he writes this. When I kept silent, my bones just wasted away through groaning all day long. But then look look what he writes. He writes, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. 
I just came out with it. I dug it up, I brought it out into the open, and I dealt with it. And the big thing here is David doesn't just confess to God. He confesses to his wife, and he confesses to his entire nation. He brings, he, he brings it out to those his vandalism affected. He doesn't just confess to God. And I think a lot of us, I've been stuck in this, a lot of us get stuck in this loop. You know, we, we know we have that sin, so we just confess it to God. And that's it. God, I messed up today. I'm sorry. All right, I'm back. Sorry. I did it again. I'm sorry. The sin that we only go to God about tends to be the sin we most often repeat. And it just stays buried in our tent. This is why Jesus' half-brother James wrote, confess your sins to who? To one another, that you may be healed. I think sometimes God hears our prayers and says, great, you're confessing to me, but you need to confess to those your vandalism has affected. Which, by the way, is a lot more people than we tend to think our vandalism affects. Except with a guy a year ago. Um, I was surprised he, he was willing to meet with me. He had uh, left his family for, for a, a, another woman, so left his children behind and, and his wife behind, a broken, broken family, just torn to shreds. He sat with him across the table, and he had said to me, he said, this is between me and God. Between you and I, I wanted to reach across that table. I think, man, you have a, you have a broken family at home. You, have a, you left a single mom and fatherless children at home. And by the way, you also have a church, a community, trying to pick up the pieces that you left behind. Don't sit here and tell me that this is between you and God. It is not. Your vandalism has affected far more than what you think. And we carry that. Our vandalism affects far more than we think. This is why James says, confess your sins to one another. Bring it out into the open, get the right people involved, and find healing. Confession cleans the vandalism. And it's only then that you can continue forward like Israel. This is what, this is what David, this is why David finishes with this. I love this. The theology behind this is so great. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And for the past year, David has been managing his sin. He's been hiding it. He's been hiding traces of his vandalism, keeping it covered. And as a result, that vandalism, just like Eden, there's this disconnect now between him and God. There's still salvation, but he can't enjoy it. And that's where a lot of us, we can find ourselves. Because at some point, we bought into that whole idea, you know, hey, you're not, you're not hurting anyone else. It's totally fine. And we get into it. We get this conviction. We feel the shame. We keep it hidden. And we learn to silence our conscience. And as a result, our salvation isn't felt. It might still be there, but it's not felt. There's no spiritual joy. There's no spiritual freshness. There's no spiritual vigor because we have something buried in our tent. And until it's dealt with, our salvation won't be enjoyed. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, is how long will this go on? I mean, seriously, how long are you okay living like this? How long are you okay being stuck with where you're at? Israel couldn't take what God had for them until the issue was dealt with. Are you really okay not taking what God has for you in your future because you'd rather keep that buried in your tent? Are you okay missing out on what God has for you because of what you got? This whole idea, again, that I've heard so often, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it's totally fine. I don't think the question is, is that true or not? I mean, it's just, it's too obvious. It's, just, it's never been true. I think the real question we're left with is, what are you going to do with your vandalism?
You're going to hide it. You're going to keep faking it until you make it. Or are you going to take it seriously? To be candid with you, I, I struggle to know how to end this sermon. It's just Initially, I had like a point written out, you know, hey, make war, you know, and here's how you make war against your sin. You confess it and you replace it and you get accountability. And that's fine. You should do that. I just wonder if we're missing the heart of really what we're talking about here. And by that, I mean, when, when you look at this, when you look at the story of Achan or, or Adam or David, I mean, you have three men here who all took something and they hid. Do you know what their issue was? All three of them they had the same issue. They chose something over God. You have Achan walking around the rubble. The brilliance of, of the robe caught Achan's attention. In that moment, that robe eclipsed his view of God. The robe. With Adam, it was the fruit. Eclipsed his view of God. For David, it was a woman. Eclipsed his view of God. And there's something for you and I, something for all of us. And the problem is, is we keep choosing it over God. Or... We can't bring it out into the open because we're choosing our reputation over God. And I just wonder if the real problem is we don't see God for who he is. He's just too small to us. And if he's going to be that small to us, well, of course that thing's going to always win out. It's kind of like, uh, it's like the day I watched Nicole walk down the aisle when we got married. I don't mean to be like weird romantic, but I still remember that vividly. You know, a room is filled with family and friends, family I hadn't seen in years, friends that I hadn't seen in years. In that moment, you know, I was standing up here and Nicole's coming down the aisle. I didn't notice anybody in the room except for her. I remember her hair. I remember the look on her face. I remember her smile. She was everything in that moment. Nothing else matters, just tunnel vision to her. That's how we were designed to live spiritually. So we have like this great view of God, and God is everything. Nothing else matters. It's just Him. And so we go through our life, all these things are dangled in front of us. We just don't care because I just want Him. We only take sin seriously when our eyes are open to the supreme beauty of God. When He's really all we want, all we, all we, all we really need, all we look for. When we have the right view of God, we see sin for what it is. It's just cheap substitutes, vandalism. I don't want to be part of that. So yeah, make war on your sin. Yeah, make war on it. Do it. But don't forget, grow your view of who God is. He's better. He's always been better. You're just going to keep on going back to that thing. You're going to keep that thing buried in your tent until you decide, I just want him more. So our scripture repeats, you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because it's that beauty that stirs in us this divine hatred for vandalism. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.